Hi, it's Phil Brown, and I'm here with David Whelan, and today we're going to talk about 10 serious email tips. Serious, not uh, not jokey ones. Uh, we're not going to get into things like how how to be uh, appropriate on email and you know proper etiquette and things. We're going to talk about some things that you probably should be thinking about, about the, the use of email. And the first one we're going to start off with is get a professional email address. You don't want to have uh, emails going out from your firm that are from gmail.com or yahoo.com or bell or rogers.com. Uh, you want your email address to reflect your firm. And so it's a bit of branding, but it's also a bit of professionalism. So the, the basic way to do that is to buy a domain name, a registered domain name, uh, and it would be something like uh, Dave and Phil's law firm.com. Uh, and then you would then use that with your email uh, system. You may host your own email system, your own email server, or you can use a, a remote one. And you can use Google. Google Apps for Business uh, will give you Google Mail in the web, uh, but also use your domain name. Zoho, Z-O-H-O dot uh, com has a free email server for, I think it's up to five users. So if you have a small or solo practice, you might be able to apply your domain name to that. But uh, that way you don't have to run your own email servers, but you at least look as though uh, your uh, an actual business, and and I was just going to say with with those uh, domain names, you don't have to have a website be behind it, right? So you can have you know david dot com, but you don't have to have the david dot com website. You can just use the the domain for email. It gives people a, a bit of a sense that you're you're in it for the long haul, that you've made a commitment to your business. And and the other thing I'd say about that is is just from the fraud perspective, and this is just a small reminder. Uh, if you're getting an email from someone purporting to be uh, retaining you from some large business, uh, but their email domain is yahoo.com or gmail.com or hotmail.com, they're not really emailing you from that large business. That's and, a good tip. And it's just something to be uh, to watch uh, for. Uh, our second tip, uh, consider using email software. What email software do you use? I am not going to tell. <laughs> uh, I use about six different uh, email softwares. Uh, I use uh, I use Outlook mostly. And, and I guess we should probably distinguish for everybody what we mean by email software. Is that the same as logging on to uh, Google Mail or something through your web browser? No. The, the web-based stuff is, is different, uh, and you're really just kind of borrowing time on a server somewhere else. Right. The, the most common software that uh, you'll find in law firms is Microsoft's Outlook. Uh, it, it used to be confused with uh, Outlook Express, but hopefully if you've finally gotten off Windows XP, you have also gotten off Outlook Express. Uh, Windows 10 does come with a mail application. It's terrible. Um, so you really should look at something like Outlook, which will cost you a bit of money. Or you can look at some free uh, email programs like uh, Mozilla's Thunderbird uh, by the makers of Firefox. Um, there's another good one called Inky, uh, which requires... Uh, an account with Inky, but it, it runs multiple uh, email accounts all within one system. Um, but these tools come with additional productivity benefits where you can start to really uh, manage your folders and manage your files in different ways, uh, export your emails uh, on your computer, and also have some sense that if you want to, you can have all of your emails stored on your computer rather than sitting on a server somewhere else. And, and speaking of storing those emails, we get to tip number three, uh, which I suppose you could characterize as using your inbox as a file cabinet. Absolutely. Keep everything in your <laughs> inbox. You know, when you hit 20,000 emails in your inbox, then you know you've really been practicing for a long time. 
there, there, are, there are pros and cons, and in fact, there are a lot of cons to using your inbox for all of your um, emails. But uh, in, in some cases, it can be done. And, and one of the ways it can be done is, is, or one of the reasons, I suppose, it could be done is because of the, the search tools that are available now so that you can nuance them and, and find just about anything anywhere on your computer. Right. It really comes down to how you're going to manage it. If you are uh, storing all of your emails in your inbox, uh, and, and we're not kidding when we've heard of lawyers with more than 10,000 e- emails in an inbox, um, if you haven't done anything to them and they're really just sitting there in the order that they came in, that's not an effective way to manage your information. Um, but if you're in something like Google Mail or Thunderbird or Outlook and you're applying labels so that you can sort and filter your emails um, or, or do things that are folder-ish, uh, then that can actually be a pretty effective way to manage all of your emails. Otherwise, you need to be looking at doing uh, searches that are um, specific that will do the filtering for you. Uh, or use folders, the good old folders. Most email uh, applications still support folders. And, and as I would say, from a practice management perspective and a best practices method, it's probably not a great idea to have your inbox filled with every email you've ever received uh, because it's it's e- so easy in that environment to, to miss an email. And, and it's an email that maybe you should have dealt with that was time sensitive and you skipped over it because you had another 30 emails to deal with. Uh, and when you go back, you just it gets lost in the mix. It can be hard, and I guess if you uh, have something happen to you, it can be hard for people to come in and look at your inbox and figure out what's going on. And that's the other thing, I suppose, is if you have to go back and build a trail or uh, if there's some sort of a contingency plan that, that activates because you've been hit by a car, uh, they may not be able to use that, uh, that desktop search function that you have uh, relied upon for all that time. Okay, tip number four. We all love robots, so how much of my email can I automate? And, and that's uh, a good question, and uh, it's probably a good idea to uh, have an auto response that says things like, you know, thanks for your email. I've received it. I'm gonna, I'll respond to your email within 24 hours. Uh, it might not be such a good idea to have the auto address function uh, enabled so that as you start to type in an address to a client, it automatically gets filled in. There are some really good productivity tools in most email clients, whether you're on the web or you uh, have software like Outlook on your computer. But anytime you use automation, you should really think about what they're doing. I think the, the one about notifying the clients makes so much sense. It should almost be, uh, it's like a permanent out of office, but you don't actually be out of the office permanently. Uh, but letting people know when you're, what the expectations are about communication um, are great, uh, but so many uh, people have gone awry when they've used other tools like the address functionality or other things that are, are auto-inserted or auto-addressed. Uh, uh, um, you can even get into problems where you're, uh, when emails come in, you auto-filter them into a folder, uh, and because they're not in your inbox, you forget that they've come in and you don't go and check that folder, and you can miss a deadline or something like that. Yeah, it's. I mean, the, the auto-address thing for me is, is something I turn off immediately because uh, it is probably one of the biggest source of uh, of sending emails off to people you never intended them to receive. This is an extra tip for the Outlook folks. Uh, there are two different types of auto address features in Outlook. Uh, one is where it guesses and tries to put in the best one based on your uh, type in. Um, and then there's another one where uh, it will it will essentially ask you whether this is the right one and, and you want to turn off the first and you can potentially keep the second. Um, but you may want to think about not doing your addressing of emails until you've actually finished the e- email 
And so you can really concentrate on uh, the name of the person who's going in that email. And, and I would say for tip number five, you should consider using encryption in your emails. Yeah, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Because uh, when you're on the web, typically when you're communicating uh, with the email site like Google Mail, uh, that traffic is, is encrypted. But when you send the email, it's not encrypted after that, is it? No. And and I and I, one of the problems I, I I guess that could come up quite frequently is uh, you know there have to has to be a key exchange with you and whoever you're sending that email with uh, so that they're able to decrypt it on their end and you will find some clients just don't want to deal with that and they don't want to take the time to you know secret squirrel your email when they receive it but there are clients on the other hand who want to make sure everything's encrypted and documents are encrypted and. And, of course, clients who won't even consider using email. Right. Is, is there a reason that you want to encrypt, you know, the everyday emails? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, but I, I think, you know, it, it's getting so much easier now with emails. Uh, you used to have to cut and paste them and, you know, generate random numbers and letters. And, and now there's a number of different encrypted emails available. Um, I just think, you know, if you want to keep an eye on confidentiality and, uh, it, it's not a bad thing to consider. I'm not suggesting it's it's mandatory by any stretch, or that people should use it with all their emails. But it, you know, keeping things with another layer of security uh, is not a bad idea. Google's working on end-to-end encryption for its email, and I think when it uh, finalizes that and that comes out, we will probably see encryption uh, made available through lots of other clients who are trying to keep up with that. Uh, the use of uh, web form emails as a point of first contact for clients. Yeah, so imagine going to uh, your law firm website and a client wants to reach out and talk to you. Um, do you give them your email address or do you give them a form that they can fill out? And, and the danger of having your email address on your website uh, for a first point of contact is that people can send you all sorts of things and attachments and uh, they can make attempts to create some sort of solicitor-client relationship by sending you confidential information and things like that. I, I think it's a good idea to uh, to have those web form, you know, give me your name, uh, give me your address and where I can contact you, uh, but you can't send any attachments. It's a good idea, too, uh, when you think about our, our tip number seven, which is uh, what happens when you get emails from people who you don't know or aren't expecting uh, to get emails from. Um, that have things in them that uh, uh, you perhaps shouldn't open or shouldn't click on. And, and so we're talking about phishing. And and you can receive uh, an email from an address that you know, and it, it could be something simple like what looks like an email fax from that person with their address attached. Uh, but when you scroll over that email, and, and I would suggest people scroll over every attachment before they open it, uh, and be very uh, careful and, and not open an attachment you weren't expecting to receive uh, because it may end up uh, putting something uh, on your computer that uh, later encrypts everything on your drive and possibly in the cloud uh, and and holds you hostage. Law- lawyers in particular, I think, need to be uh, exceptionally wary of pretty much every email that comes in uh, that that. Even if it doesn't look suspicious, even if it looks like it's coming from a person you know and it's got a file that you were expecting, um, I think you should still be very wary. There was a lawyer in Pennsylvania who uh, 
thought he had been emailed a voice message uh, by his voice message system, and he double-clicked on it to uh, listen to it, and it did encrypt his entire computer. So when you're getting uh, email attachments, uh, download them and scan them uh, before you open them. Uh, when you've got links uh, that are in the emails, uh, don't just click on them. Uh, if someone's saying to reset a password or, or go somewhere, uh, then open up your web browser and go there um, through your web browser, but not by clicking on the, on the link. And I, I probably get three or four emails a week from... Uh organizations that I'm supposedly banking with that I'm not telling me I have to reset my password and and I have to give them some uh, personal information uh, or I'll, I'll lose my ability to lose the, to use that account, which of course I don't have in the first place. Yep. They're getting smarter and smarter. And uh, let's talk about uh, disclaimers. Should, should you be using a disclaimer? Disclaimers are funny because on, on the one hand, they make a lot of sense that you would want to have a disclaimer, particularly for issues related to privilege and things like that. Um, and if you're in a, 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 an area of law where there are regulatory requirements for you to have a disclaimer, obviously you should have one. But for the most part, because of the, where they're placed in an email, they're pretty useless. Uh, and unless you have a particular need for them, I wouldn't bother to put a disclaimer uh, on your email. Um, similarly, uh, here at the Law Society, we have uh, disclaimers in both uh, English and French. Um, just because of the amount of text that uh, it involves, uh, if you're only emailing with a person who speaks English, you probably don't need to have uh, your disclaimer in both languages. Um, so it's really about keeping your email nice and clean, uh, keep, keeping out uh, what doesn't need to be in there, uh, and, and thinking about just having the information that's really useful. So instead of a disclaimer, think about having a really good signature block uh, where you've got your contact information, including your email address, uh, so that if the email, uh, as it invariably is, is ever printed off, um, all of the information about how to contact you is, is included in that. It's not just a name. It's not just uh, part of your uh, contact information. It's all the stuff that someone would need to get in touch with you. Sure. And I, I don't think you're going to find lawyers or paralegals getting away from those disclaimer block uh, signatures at the bottom of an email. I, I think they're here to stay. Um, I'm not aware of all that much litigation over them, uh, but I, I would also refer people to the rules of professional conduct, which deal with things like inadvertent disclosure and, and uh, the email that is mistakenly sent to you, which contains potentially all sorts of privileged information. So really what we need is we need a disclaimer that comes at the beginning of the email and that has a little OK button before you can actually read the email. Well, that, that might not be a bad idea in the future either. Um uh, Return receipts and, and recalling messages. Return receipts and recalls are, are one of my favorite things, um, mostly because I block them. A return receipt is something that uh, uh, an email server will send. Uh, you set it up with your, your, your account, mostly with Outlook, um, but you can do it with others. So that if I send a message to Phil and Phil opens it, I get a message back that says that Phil has received my email. Um, but the problem with return receipts is that they can be blocked. And so uh, having it turned on doesn't necessarily mean uh, that you're going to get any information about uh, the emails that were sent. And I, and I think, uh, you know, the same with recalls. Um, if you're not in the same email system that the other person's using, the fact that you're trying to recall it might not actually do any good. And it's more important to think about, do I really want to send that message before you send it? That's right. Yeah, it's, it's better to think about it in advance before you send that email. Google has a feature on uh, Google Mail that does like a five-minute pause so that after you hit send, it's still somewhere in the system so that you can get it back. Um, but the reality is, is once out of the, the barn door, it's, it's gone. Um, and with return receipts, too, uh, from a, your own perspective, you're probably better off blocking them 
because you don't want to be sending back information from people who are emailing, emailing you uh, that lets them know uh, and maybe creates a paper trail that you don't want to create about when emails are being accessed. And our, our 10th uh, email tip, uh, and I'm going to add an 11, but at 10, I, I just want to say, once you send that email, you have to be aware that you've, you've lost control of that email. Right. So don't put anything in there that you don't want other people to see. Um, it, it, it's uh, maybe in some cases you don't, don't want to put in anything that could be uh, confidential uh, because once it's gone uh, to the other person, and hopefully it's the right person, um, they can forward it, they can share it, and they can do other things with it that you may not want them to do. It might be published. Uh, it, it might be part of evidence later. Uh, it could be passed on to someone. It's, it's unintended consequences. Uh, and, you know, especially be careful if you're sending off an email uh, to a listserv or something like that, because uh, you really have to consider that once you push the send button on an email, it might be uh, it might turn up on the front page of the globe. Not a good place for your your law firm to be. No. Um, so what's 11? Well, 11, I would say this, using emails, if you're going to attach something to an email, don't ever attach just a regular Word document or anything like that in the email uh, because not only does it contain a ton of uh, metadata, the other problem is they can now take that document uh, and add or subtract various things in that email and then publish it as if it were their own. Right. So uh, formats, what are better formats? Uh, PDF being one of the big ones, locked down and, and metadata removed so that it's essentially just an image of something. Good tip. Uh, that's it for our 10 serious email tips. Thanks, David. Thanks, Phil.